So we're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And before we go to the word of God, let's go to the God of the word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to gather together. We're thankful that um, you've called us to this. You've given us this. You have um, given us your word. Forgive us for not being more um, diligent students of your word. We would memorize it, hide it in our hearts. We would just read it so much it becomes a part of us that when we speak, um, even even if we're speaking um, without thinking, that it's your message that comes out, your word that comes out, that you would control our tongues. So we thank you that you give us this time when you gather your people together and you speak to us as a great means of grace. So we pray now that you would make us more like you from what we hear, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you and that we would indeed um, come to know you and ourselves in more truth. And this we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. So again, Hebrews beginning in chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek the word of God. So again, as this is a, a, a letter written to most likely a, 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 a Jewish congregation, um, probably not far from Rome, experiencing and about to experience even more persecution, um, if they've been kicked out of the synagogues, then do they have a priest? How are my sins forgiven? And surely they had a lot of this knowledge already, but they didn't have the book of Hebrews yet. Um, so they didn't have the completed New Testament yet. And so the book of Hebrews comes to them as to us to explain how does God deal with us? How does God deal with our sin? 
Um, if we don't have a priest, remember, and we, I'm grateful we're going to Hebrews now after being in the Old Testament for a while. So we've been through Numbers and Joshua, all these Old Testament books as we've seen the way the sacrificial system works, the way people follow God, the way the blood has to be um, done in particular ways. You go to the book of Leviticus and see all the Levitical codes, all the holiness codes, everything that was done so that when you as a as a as a member of the Jewish nation, as, as, a, as a descendant of Abraham, uh, you saw your sin being dealt with. You saw, especially once a year, the high priest and his, his arraignment being beautiful. And he would go into the Holy of Holies. And he was the only one who could do that. And, only, and once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he was able to go in and he would offer sacrifices first for himself because he was sinful and then offer so for the sins of the people and so lots of ceremony that goes on the scapegoat that when he, he lays his hands on one for himself and one for the people that he sent outside the goat is sent outside the the camp where he dies as jesus was sent out and so if you're in the under the mosaic covenant as a jew and you're converting to christianity and this is very early on, you might would say, why don't we have a priest like that? Who should be our priest? Who's gonna, who is going to sacrifice for our sins? And one of the problems Jesus dealt with that we've been seeing on Wednesday nights as we go through Matthew 21 through 24 is by that time the priesthood, the Pharisees, the scribes, all of the religious leaders had become very prideful. They had become... Um, elevated above the people in a way that God did not necessarily intend so that this is probably as much the priest's fault as it is the people's fault for if you see someone who is set apart by God to go in and represent the people and sacrifice for the people as these beautiful robes on then you would say you're meant to see how beautiful is this how awesome is this and then you would tend to maybe see over time, especially if the priests and the religious leaders weren't careful, that they would begin to say, yes, look how beautiful we are. Look at us. Look at us. When they're supposed to be pointing to God. And then they would say, look at us. And then they would say, and look at you. And then what that does is cause a people to say, yes, look at us. And any time you set a standard, so this is how I want to be, or this is how things should be. It is a good thing to try to achieve that, to try to reach to that. But what it can also do is make you resentful of the fact that there are people closer to that, and I'm not that. And so it can really be a psychological problem, a spiritual problem that we have to see an idealistic way that things should be, and then to realize that we don't attain it, and then we can start to not like the ideal. And so you can see how if you're not focused on God, if you're not focused on truth, then you can start to say, you know, I elevate myself too much or I, I humble myself too much. I, I, I throw myself groveling um, when that was not necessarily what was supposed to be taking place. And so what God gives us here is the Holy Spirit um, is the ultimate author of, of Hebrews is to say, especially as we look at, Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Every high priest chosen from among men. Now, one of the things I do when I start to look at a passage for the next Sunday is just, 
you know, write it down in English and um, put it, do a little thing where I kind of make it, you know, what's the thought pattern, how does the thought flow, what's the logical progression it's called. And then when I see words that kind of stand out to me, I'll, I'll look those words up in the original language and look in Greek and say, oh, what word is that? What word is this? You know, sometimes it's the same word and it's translated by different English words. And so what I noticed as I went through this passage or a few places, I just want to hit these first so that we can kind of get, a, get the idea for one of the things that God is pointing out is the word chosen, first of all. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed. Now the word chosen actually means to be taken by hand. It's um, picked out, personally picked out. So every high priest is chosen by hand from among God. So whose hand is it? And we're going to see this is God's hand that does this particularly. And then he is appointed. And that word can be translated as ordained. Um, is where we get the word actually ordinaire or ordinate. It's where you put something in order. So you're arranging things so that God has chosen something. And then he arranges that person, that priest now, um, to act on behalf of men. So he's given a specific order. He's chosen this and he's placed this man in this, in this position in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then it says that he can deal, deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. So I had to look up the word ignorant, and the word ignorant is um, agnostic. So if anybody ever says, I'm agnostic, say, yeah, you're, I understand what you're saying. You're ignorant. And then the other one is wayward, and it's where we get the word planet from. It means wanderer. Because they would look up at the stars, and the stars are all fixed, but then you see these other lights in the sky that, you know, didn't do like this, but they, they're not always in a fixed position. Those are the planets. And so where planetes is to, to wanderer. They are wanderers. And that's what this word is for wayward. People who were ignorant, they, they, they were sinning against, they didn't know better, and then they were also wayward. They're, they're wanderers. They're like the prodigal that's out there. And so the first problem, so we have people like that. And so as the, the Hebrew people were looking, as the, the Christians in this group were looking at the problem, if Jesus Christ is our high priest and they were understanding this, it's like, but he wasn't from the Levitical tribe. He wasn't descended from Aaron. And so he couldn't be a priest. And so this is the first problem that's being addressed here in this particular passage and the solution that he gives is this thing about Melchizedek and Melchizedek comes back up in chapter 7 I believe it is and we'll talk more about who Melchizedek was and what you know some more significance about that but particularly what he's making the point of right now is this is how you can have a priest that's not a Levitical priest now you might sit there today and go oh my goodness how long is this going to take okay Get into it, okay? Put yourself into the understanding that it's a big deal that Jesus Christ is not of the line of Aaron, so how can he be a priest? But it is a big deal, and it means everything to us. And the more you understand about God, the more you, you're going to understand about yourself. But this is the whole idea to start with that he's addressing is, this is how Jesus can be a priest, because of Melchizedek. And then secondly, this priest we read about, he was able to deal gently, was supposed to be able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, 
since he himself is beset with weakness. So if Jesus is God, how can he deal with us? He's not beset with weakness. Jesus was God. He didn't have to deal with the stuff we deal with. He was God. We don't understand the hypostatic union. But it's the idea, you know, so when Jesus became man, when the Son of God incarnate, and he's walking the planet as man, we have lots of misconceptions about what he must have been like as far as was he, was he still omnipresent? Was he everywhere all at once? Well, as son of God he was, as man he was not. So it is very complex for us to figure out this great mystery. We all talk about how hard it is to understand the Trinity, but to understand God becomes man, that's a bigger mystery. And so he empties himself of many things, such as omnipresence. As if he was a human, he can't be omnipresent. So he was in one place at one time. Was he omniscient? Did Jesus Christ walk around all the time knowing everything there could be an omniscient? And the, in theology, we actually teach that. No, it's one of the things he lays aside. The God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, and in just the person of Christ, at times, can give Jesus access to these things as he needs them, so that he would know things about people that only God might know. But he walked around. Can God get hungry? No. Did Jesus get hungry? Yes. Did he get thirsty? Did he get angry? You know, so we have what we call communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. Things that God communicates with us, like he doesn't communicate, we don't share in his omniscience, we don't share in his omnipresence, but we do share in the emotional aspect of God. Okay, we have emotions, he has emotions, somehow that is a connection for us. He has the ability to reason logically, we have the ability to reason logically, so there are things that we can understand about God as we understand them about ourselves. But when we start to think about our sin and weakness then it is difficult to say how can I stand in the presence of a holy God he can't possibly understand and so we might would say well he's omniscient he's God he can understand and it's like yes but to actually experience it as a human is what God said needed to happen and that's what happened in Jesus Christ where he enters into our suffering and he enters into our suffering in such a way that he is now able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because he was beset with weakness in a certain sense he did not have moral weakness but he had weakness in the same sense as if he ran at full speed he eventually would collapse if he did not eat for long enough, God could miraculously keep him alive, but it would be an act of miracle, just as the 40 days of um, fasting that he had in the desert. But he was beset with weakness. So this high priest, in verse 2, set before man, was able to deal gently, or supposed to at least, with the ignorant and wayward. Now that should give us great comfort to start with, if what we can say is, now Jesus as our high priest is able to do it, and that's the point he's making here. But before we go on to other thoughts, I just want us to dwell there a minute and think how comforting it is that God can deal with the ignorant, because we is the ignorant. 
Okay? That's us at times. We act out of severe ignorance. We just don't know better. And shame on us for not knowing better. But he deals with us gently. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to deal with us gently. Because if, if ignorance is an excuse, then he wouldn't have to deal with us gently. He could say, well, that's fine. You know, but there are things about God that he has revealed and it is our responsibility to become disciples of God. You can't read the Bible without it telling you and causing you to know that you can't just get your get out of hell free card and walk away from everything. He calls us to, in communion, what he's telling us about our salvation is don't walk away from me. You must have me to eat and drink. Without me, you are lost. Apart from the vine, you can do nothing. So these things are important to us in ways that we can't possibly imagine so that when we're not studying the word, we're not becoming students of the word. And I'm not saying everybody in here has to learn Greek and Hebrew, but, you know, it helps and reading the Word of God consistently, even trying to memorize portions of the Word of God, it feeds your soul. And it is what God calls us to do so that when it is time for us to face a test, we don't blame God for not telling us, where are you, God? It's like, you know what? You go on a hike and you get, you know, halfway into it, and you realize you didn't bring any food, who are you going to blame for that? Your mama had it all ready to go, packed it up, and you didn't pick it up. And you're going to yell at her for it. It's like, no, you forgot it. You left it. You didn't take it. The provision was there, and now you find yourself out in the middle of this thing, and what's supposed to happen now? And we as good Americans and we as good spoiled children want to be able to sit there and holler and cry for our mama to come take it to us. You know, rather than us having to go back and get it. We have so much responsibility in our faith. I think we for too long have said, it's grace, grace, grace. You have to do nothing. You can't do anything. You just, you get saved and then you, you get on with it. It's like God says, disciples. We're to be disciples. And what a disciple does is follow closely. I think about everything. I take every thought captive to the word of God. That's what we're called to do. To take every thought Think about that. Then you can understand how we're ignorant and wayward. Do we take every thought captive to the word of God? <laughs> no. Do we even take a majority of our thoughts captive to the word of God? I hope some of us take any of our thoughts captive to the word of God. And as believers, we have to, or we're, we're not even believers. But the good news in this is it is a throne of grace and we do have a high priest who is able to deal gently with us. Now he doesn't always deal gently with us, but even in his harshness with us, it is gentle compared to what it should be. And he does these things because sometimes that's what we need. He doesn't deal with the believer harshly because we must be punished. He deals with the believer harshly because we have to be corrected or we're going to go off a deep end and wreak havoc on our souls. And so when we see things happening that are coming as discipline for us or hardship or trials for us, 
then we have to see that as this is for the perfecting of our faith. This is for our good. This is for the good of Christ and the glory of God. And, and we have to come to a better understanding of these things. But to recognize that we have a high priest who is gentle. And then we're not gentle. We're not gentle to a bunch of people. And then that should convict us. Thank God he's gentle with us for not being gentle with others. And then the other aspect of this is we all have family members, children, parents, spouses, friends that have walked away. Maybe they haven't necessarily denounced the faith, but they're not living like they could care about it whatsoever, and it brings us great consternation. And we pray that this is, that God as, a whole, as our high priest will deal with the ignorant and wayward gently, but that he will deal with them. And um, at times, I don't care if he deals gently with them or not, just deal with them. <laughs> but it's a gentleness that's required. And so that's what we pray. We can pray to a high priest who doesn't just say, hey, they're evil and wicked. What do you want me to do? You know, so what I, what I want you to do, I want you to deal gently with them. I want you to bring them back. I want you to give them faith that they don't have. I want you to save them. I want you to, to bring them back home. I want the elder brother to go after them. I want the father to see. I want the father to scan. I want you to bring them back. And we have passages like this, passages like this, where we can know and see our weakness, because this is what the high priest did. He looked within, and he saw how far short he fell, and then he realized he would be a hypocrite to deal with others differently than that. And then if we go down to follow this train of thought to verse 7, we read that in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, because of his godly fear, because Jesus was sinless and loved God, knew who to go to. And so let's, let's look at what the writer of Hebrews here is, is speaking of. And we find this in the book of Mark, chapter 14. So if you turn with me, Matthew, Mark, chapter 14. And we'll read this account. And we see Jesus with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. So Mark, chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 17. So Mark 14, 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to one another, um, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. 
And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all did the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And they took with him, he took with him Peter and James and John. And they began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So you, you, you think about this, and you know, it's, it's, again, his humanity. So... He asked, if it's possible that this can be removed from me, remove it. It was not removed. Therefore, it was not possible for salvation to be accomplished in any other way. This is very clear. Anybody who wants to get into heaven except for the blood of Christ, Jesus is not going to make it. There's not another way. Else Jesus' prayer would have been answered here. But he gives over his human will to the will of God and says, But thy will be done, not mine. So this is what he's done. He's having, I believe at this point, the sin of the world laid upon him. He's beginning to understand and to feel what it feels like to be sinful, to understand shame. I mean, imagine, we've felt shame, if you haven't. You're not human. And imagine never having a reason to be shameful at all. None. And then suddenly, not just the shame that we feel, but the shame of the world being laid on him so that he feels naked and ashamed and nasty and filthy and the weight of God's wrath and displeasure beginning to lay upon him. And that's why he's praying, let this cup, past. I don't think he's just looking forward. Father, I don't want to be, I don't want to have nails go through my, I mean, if anything, the death on the cross gives him relief. He would die. But if you've ever felt, I mean, people kill themselves because they feel emotional, spiritual pain. So imagine having that multiplied exponentially and he's there praying. And so he then says, this is why I brought my friends. And so then he goes and says, he came to them and they're sleeping. And he says to Peter, 
Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away, and he prayed, saying the same thing. And again he came, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? And then he says, It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately when he was still speaking, Judas, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and chief priests and scribes and elders. I don't know if it's possible for you to picture a mob, but picture a mob coming at you. And make no mistake about it, there are mobs coming against people today. Not just Christians, but there are mobs coming against people. How do we stand against mob? We can't sleep. And so here they come. And he says, 44, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Seize him. Take him away under guard. And when they came, he went up to him and kissed him and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one who stood by drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest. He attacks the mob and he cuts off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against me, a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me but let the scripture be fulfilled. And then they all left him and fled. His friends and disciples left him and fled. And another gospel tells us he picks up the ear of the soldier and heals him and rebukes them for attempting to fight the mob with the sword. So we have to follow the way of Christ. And he's dealing gently. And in this particular case, he was offering up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears in the garden. That's what he was doing. It's just a few verses, but it took a while. Our Lord and Savior is in the garden crying out loud, weeping great tears on our behalf. Because he felt our sin and shame. He's felt our weakness. And he can deal gently with us because of that. And then we too also must stay awake and deal gently with others because of this. And because of this, verse 8, although he was a son, and in the, the Greek it actually says, although he was son, and you can put the word a there, but I think here it's he was son, He learned obedience through what he suffered. And I think what they're saying here is it wasn't that he was disobedient and he learned to be obedient, but obedience has to do with submitting your will to someone else's will. Jesus never had to do that. His will is perfectly aligned with the Father all the time. It's like if somebody, if my son Ian when he was younger, desperately wanted to take the trash out because it smelled so bad, and I just wasn't letting him do it. 
And he's like, please, 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 please let me take the trash out. And then finally I said, Ian, go take out the trash. He didn't have to be obedient. He'd just do it. And if everything I ever asked Ian to do was exactly what he wanted to do anyway, he's not learning obedience. The only time he would learn obedience was when I said, now do this, and he didn't want to do it. And so with Jesus, how is he supposed to learn obedience if his will is always perfectly aligned with the Father's? And theologians call this active and passive obedience. His active obedience was obeying the law, doing everything. There's no problem for Jesus to obey the law. It was perfectly what he wanted to do. Don't kill, not a problem. Don't commit adultery, not a problem. Don't steal, not a problem. wouldn't want to do these things anyway. Why is there even a law against such things? You know? And so now it's like, now bear the sin of the world upon you, go to the cross and die as a sinner. I don't have to do that. No, you don't. But to fulfill all righteousness for your people, you do. To become the sin bearer for all these things we've done throughout all the history of the world. To bring people into the heavenly kingdom, you do. So he had to obey in something that he did not have to obey and still obey the law. That's a difficult thing to understand. He did not have to go to the cross unless he did it for us on our behalf. And that's what the Lord's Supper is about. Us being united with him by faith in what he did so that as we're united in him, he dies. He lived a perfect life. We, get, we have lived a perfect life in him. He dies on the cross. We die on the cross with him. He's buried. We're buried with him. He's raised. We're raised with him. We now walk in the risen Spirit of Christ. And then being made perfect, it says in verse 9, that word is to tell us, die, tell us, being made complete. He did everything he had to do, and once he had done all these things, he became the source or the author of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. So when you're saved, you're saved eternally. If you're truly saved, you're saved eternally. And he becomes that source. And look, to who it is, to all who obey him. As we've seen elsewhere in Hebrews, today if you hear his voice. So we're to obey him. So is our salvation based on obedience? Yes. His obedience. And then what are we called to do? What does a disciple do? He follows him. We obey him. Do we obey perfectly? No. To our shame? So he's a high priest who deals with the ignorant and wayward gently. And that gives us, and that's why we have a throne of grace. Or else, as a believer, we could simply go to a throne of justice and demand it constantly. And we can't. But he can deal gently with us, as it says, because he himself was beset with weakness and yet without sin, as we saw in verse 4, in chapter 4. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And we see Jesus understanding a time of need in the garden for us and what he did for us on our behalf. And he was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek 
And that word designated means he was called by name, he was given a name publicly, he was declared by God to be the high priest. And that is our good news. That as we go through trials, we have the king is on the throne and he is Christ. We have the prophet who tells us the word of God and he is Christ. We have a high priest who has dealt with sin in his body. And as we come to the Lord's table today, he's going to say, this is my body, which is a given for you. On the night when he was betrayed, this is the first time he did this. And then he goes forth and is betrayed and his very disciples abandon him. And he does this. He experiences the shame of the cross for the joy that's set before him so that he becomes the author of eternal salvation and the spirit of the risen Christ comes and belongs and is given to us. And that's the good news. And that's the good news that we have to give to people. And that's the God we pray to. That's the God that says, I am yours and you are mine. If God is for you, no one can be against you. So you can stand and you can shine the light. And you can be ridiculed. You can be attacked. You can be beaten. You can be killed. You can be whatever it is. You can lose your job. You can use, lose your position. And you can count it all joy if you're standing on the truth. If you're standing on the truth according to the word of God, and that's where it gets tricky. Because one of the greatest weaknesses of the church that we're going to see as this progresses is the biblical illiteracy of Christians. The biblical illiteracy of Christians. And then our independent streak that says we don't need to listen to teachers. That we don't need to listen to those who came before. And then the Pentecostal streak that says, I don't need teachers. I can just have the Holy Spirit di speak directly to me. Well, I can promise you this. You know who comes as an angel of light? Satan. Be careful. In the last days, he will deceive many. Because we go after our own appetites. We go after our own things. The things that we desire. The things that we want. And we don't understand how to put them behind us. We don't understand how to put other people in front of us. We don't understand what it means to be self-effacing and to glorify God. Not to us, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. Not to us, for through him and to him and for him is everything. Surely, solely Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. And the good news is, I can stand here and I could berate us and you could sit there and I could say it truthfully. I could say how these things about how awful we are as a church, and it would be true. But the good news is the, the high priest deals with us gently. But here's what you've got to know, and this is the super really extra good news, is that he does deal with us. And we pray that he will deal with us gently. But if it takes something a little less gentle to get our attention, then come Lord Jesus. Don't take this lightly. The church is the body of Christ on earth. It is the only hope for the world. And if we go silent and go deep, then the world is lost and we're not the church. We don't put a city set on a hill and hide it and put it under a lampstand. You let it shine and it gives light to everybody in the room. But if everybody starts yelling at you, first thing we do is, oh, I don't want people not to like me. 
I don't want people not to like me. Or, I love for people not to like me. Oh, you know, here's a light in your eye. You know, we're so screwed up. Shouldn't have said it like that, but we are. We just pray that the Holy Spirit would hone us through this. So if we're really going through persecution, good. We've been praying for revival. You know how long the church has been praying for revival? And we're just like Habakkuk. Wait a minute, not like this, Lord. <laughs> it's like, well, what if it is like this? Then come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, um, we pray this is short. Pray that um, the people that we see going crazy in the streets, um, some with best of motivations, some with the worst of motivations, but the human heart is deceitfully wicked. So help us to remember the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We're not to um, take Satan's tools and use them for our good. We're not to fight, lash out in anger and hate, but we're to do what we do in love. We're to speak truth boldly in love. We're to follow you closely. We're to know you deeply. So Lord, help us to know when to hold our tongues. Help us to know when to set them loose. And when we do loose our tongues, Lord, that it would be a thousand tongues to sing your praises, your words, speak your truth. Help us to know the gospel, that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And salvation is what we need. Help us not to look to any other gods. Help us to cling to you. And as we pray in, in your name, is our high priest forever. Amen.